0: So Psalm 84 is on page 588, basically smack bang in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 84, for the director of music, according to Gatith, of the sons of Korah, a psalm. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young. "'Place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. "'Blessed are those who dwell in your house. "'They are ever praising you. "'Blessed are those whose strength is in you, "'whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. "'As they pass through the valley of Baca, "'they make it a place of springs. "'The autumn rains also cover it with pools. "'They go from strength to strength "'till each appears before God in Zion. "'Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. "'Listen to me, God of Jacob.' Look on our shield, O God. Look with favour on your anointed one. Better is a day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. The Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you.
1: Uh, well, thanks very much, Annika, and um, it's lovely to be with you here again. I've um, not been here for about a year and a half, and uh, one of the lovely things about coming to Trinity South is both seeing—push down—is uh, is both seeing uh, dear old friends again, but also equally encouraging, and perhaps more so, uh, lots of people who I've not met before, uh, which of course is the reason why this church began in the first place. It was to. Uh, reach out to people in this part of Adelaide that they might hear the gospel. So I look forward to meeting you over morning tea afterwards if we had that opportunity. Uh, can I ask you please to open up your Bibles to page 588? It'd be really helpful if you have it open in front of you because I'm going to be looking quite closely at the passage and that way you can see what I'm talking about and that I'm not making it up as we go along. Uh, also on the inside of your leaflet there's a little handout there with an outline. It'd be great for you to have that there as well uh, because that will help make sense of this particular talk. As Joe said, I'm here for the next three weeks. Uh, we're looking at three Psalms. Pretty easy for you to remember which ones, 84, 85 and 86. So I'd encourage you to read ahead uh, over the weeks. Uh, and each time we're looking at a different aspect of what the Psalms says about our great God. I thought I'd start today by uh, just uh, observing what all of us know to be true, uh, which is that great songs, great songs, make us feel something special... Uh, not only for how they sound, but just as importantly for what they say. Uh, So what makes Psalm 84, which is a song, you'll see there at the top uh, of the psalm, it's a song of the sons of Korah, Uh, what makes it so magnificent? Uh, That's what we're thinking about this morning. Uh, The answer will be uh, because of how it describes our great God. Uh, The key to the Psalms, as it says at the top of your outline, I think, is uh, to see, first and foremost, what they say about God, uh, not what they teach us about ourselves. I have a couple of reasons for saying that. Uh, One is that uh, it can be tempting at times when you read the Old Testament in particular to fall into the trap of moralism, that is, to try to repeat what they did in the Old Testament uh, today. Um, There's a number of problems with that, of course. Uh, Most basically, this is a Psalm all about getting to Jerusalem. So I'm assuming that none of us here are planning to book plane tickets after this talk, which means that as Christians, we need to think how something written a long time ago still applies to us today. The other reason, of course, why the Psalms first and foremost describe what God is like, not our response first and foremost, uh, is because that enables us then to, point, to be pointed towards Jesus, uh, Jesus who is the fullest and most complete revelation and description of what our God is like. And so if you look at the handout, the way in which I'm going to handle this talk, and in fact, each of the three talks in this series, is in a series of stages. Firstly, what Psalm 84 says about God. Uh, Secondly, how Psalm 84 points us towards Jesus. And then thirdly, and only finally, uh, how that might apply to us today. Okay, three parts to the talk, here we go. Point one, what Psalm 84 says about God. Uh, The psalm is set uh, in Old Testament Israel, hundreds of years before Christ, Uh, We're not sure of the exact date, although it appears that Solomon's temple is still in operation. And the way in which the song itself is broken down is into three even, now we would say today verses, but that'll confuse with verse numbers, so let me call them stanzas, three even stanzas uh, that describe what God is like. Each of those stanzas uses the word blessed, the word blessed, uh, which I think, is meant to describe what it means to be in relationship with God uh, and what God is like, and hence the title for today's talk, The God Who Blesses. Let me say something about each of those stanzas in turn. Firstly, verses 1 through 4, how good it would be to be with God. How good it would be to be with God. Let me read verses 1 through 4 again. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your lo- altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Okay, the first stanza vividly describes the songwriters, the sons of Korah, their songwriters' great desire. My soul yearns. It even faints with longing to be with God, to be in his courts, in his house, that is, in the temple. Why? Why are they so keen to be in God's house? Well, it's not because the temple was magnificent, Uh, although it was. It's one of the ancient wonders of the world. But the reason why the songwriters want to be in God's house is because that's as close as you can get to being with God as you can be on this earth. There's a reference there in verse 3 to the altar. Uh, The altar is the place where God is said to dwell amongst his people. And the picture there in verse 3 is that if the smallest and most insignificant of birds, a sparrow, a swallow, can come into God's presence, then so can we. No wonder, then, the sons of Korah long to go there. And if they were allowed to go into God's temple and, moreover, stay there, remain there, dwell there, live there, you'd call them blessed. And, in fact, they would ever be praising God. Point one, how good it would be to be with God. Well, point two, then, from the psalm, the excitement and anticipation of being with God is infectious and contagious. The excitement and anticipation of being with God is infectious and contagious. Verses 5 through 8. Read this with me. Verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength, till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob." A little surprise, then, that the picture which stands at two paints is of those who are making their way towards God's house. And the picture that describes them, verse 5, is of pilgrims, pilgrims uh, who are almost giddy, almost breathless with excitement and anticipation. as they draw nearer, verse 7, we're told, they go from strength to strength. And their eagerness is infectious and contagious. Uh, Verse 6, in particular, uses uh, the image of a dry and barren place. Now, if you look there, verse 6, it talks about them passing through the valley of Baca. Uh, We don't actually know what that is, although it doesn't sound particularly hospitable, does it? The valley of Baca. Uh, Maybe like Death Valley. I've never been there, but it doesn't sound like a particularly nice place to go to. But the picture is that as they pass through the valley of Baca, it's suddenly drenched in cool, soaking rains. Uh, Every now and then, every few years, Lake Eyre in the middle of our country fills up again. Uh, Most of the time, of course, it's just a desert. But every now and then, it fills up. And I've never been, I know some of us have, but I've seen the pictures where there's just teeming with life, with flora and fauna, that's as if it's come from nowhere just to be there. The image that's been described here is of how God's blessing, if it falls on you, in fact, it overflows to others. And so as the pilgrims draw nearer, everyone gets excited. Everything seems better. Everyone feels better as they come nearer to God. Here's an image that might work for you. Uh, it's like, I think, when you hear... A visit, when, you, when you have a visitor from, the inter, from interstate come down to Adelaide uh, at the end of winter, and you say to them, it's like you brought the sun with you. That's the picture going on, I think, here, of that infectious, contagious enthusiasm as the pilgrims draw nearer to the house of God. And so we come then to the last stanza, nothing matters more than being with our God, verses 9 through 12. Let me read this last part of Psalm 84. Psalm 84. Verse 9, look on our shield, O God, look with favour on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Okay, so far we've seen, what we've seen is uh, stanza one, uh, the songwriters, the pilgrims longing to be with God, stanza two, they're on their way there. Stanza three, fast forward, and it's as if they've arrived. They're standing outside the entrance to God's house. They're just waiting to be let in. It's as almost as if they're at the door banging, saying, please God, we've made it this far, let us in now. And out front of them, verse nine, is their shield and anointed one. Uh, I think this is a reference to the king. uh, The king who has led them up to the house of God. And the sense is that if God admits the king, he will admit his people as well. That raises the question, of course, then, who is this king? Who is this anointed one who leads us to God's house? And we'll come back and see for a moment Uh, on who Psalm 84, I think, is pointing us towards. But before we do, just for a moment, let me ask you to look at the justifiably famous verse 10. Verse 10, "'Better is one day in your courts "'than a thousand elsewhere. "'I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God "'than dwell in the tents of the wicked.'" Uh, Verse 10 is famous, I think, for its two powerful images... That describe how nothing matters more than being with our God. Better is one day with you than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper here than dwell in the tents of the wicked elsewhere. Two powerful images to describe how wonderful it is to be with our God. Uh, one day, as opposed to a thousand elsewhere, that's measured in terms of time. A doorkeeper, well, that's measured in terms of proximity, of nearness. You cannot get any closer to God than to be right there at his front door. So my question for you is, which of those two images most resonates with you? One day or a tent, uh, sorry, at the doorway as opposed to a tent? Which is the one that best for you describes that longing to be with God? Uh, For me, I think it's the image of time. It's of that sense of having just one day with God would far outweigh a thousand others, good though those those days might be. What's the best day that you've ever had? All of us, of course, would answer that question differently. For some of us, perhaps it's a wedding day, maybe the birth of a child. Maybe the best day you've ever had is a reunion with a long-lost friend or an estranged relative. Maybe the best day for you is finally winning a competition after seasons of trying. Maybe the best day for you was the day you got a job, or perhaps left a job. Maybe the best day was that day in which, for the first time, you finally felt the extent the horror and the magnitude of your sin. And you realise there was nothing you could do to take it away. And in that exact same moment, understood that our only hope is that God in his grace and mercy has done something about it for us. What day would it be for you? Because what the Psalms, psalmists are saying here, the sons of Korah, is that a single day with God, a single day with God, that opportunity to talk with Him, to listen to Him, to be with Him, to share a meal with Him, a single day with God would be better than a thousand any other days, no matter how good they might be. No wonder then, I think the sons of Korah finished Psalm 84 with three extravagant descriptions of God's goodness. Uh, you see them there in verse 11. Three ways in which God's goodness is described. Uh, firstly, he is the sun and a shield. Uh, the shield here, I think, conveys the sense of God being a protector or a defender. Uh, whereas the sun, God being described as the sun, S-U-N, uh, is not just of a protector of life, but of the giver of life. The ancients understood that all life came from the sun itself. Uh, secondly, this is a God who bestows favour and honour. A God who bestows favour and honour. It is true, our God is just. And we long to see justice done. But even more than the wronging of rights, sorry, the righting of wrongs, what we want to see, I think, what we want to know is that we might be honoured and esteemed and acclaimed. And by God himself, no less. And thirdly, no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Now, let me just uh, make a comment about that word blameless there. Uh, The word blameless doesn't mean sinless. Uh, If it meant sinless, of course, none could ever be admitted. But rather, blameless means to be full of integrity or to be beyond reproach. In the end, the way in which we come into God's presence is not because we have any right to demand it. Even the anointed king needs God to look with favour on him. But simply because our God chooses to bestow favour and honour. For his goodness is abundant and overflowing. Verse 11, no good thing does he withhold. Okay, so there's Psalm 84. In summary, what does it tell us about God? God. It says that he is wonderful and that being with him is glorious, magnificent, delightful. And it says that he welcomes us in when we come asking, trusting in his mercy. Okay, there's Psalm 84. Uh, let me move secondly then to how Psalm 84 points us towards Jesus before we come back and make a comment about what it has to say to us today. Uh, how does Psalm 84 point us towards Jesus? Uh, well, remember the problem with which I started, and that is how we read the Old Testament uh, in such a way that we're not trying to repeat what they did, because clearly we can't. Well, to put it slightly different, why do we keep reading Psalm 84 today? Why would we sing Psalm 84 today? Assuming that we're not Zionists, are committed to the restoration of Jerusalem with her magnificent temple, what does it say to us who are Christians, who live this side of the Lord Jesus? Well, a couple of things to say, Uh, firstly, the reason why we don't try to repeat uh, Psalm 84 in its original sense, the reason why we don't try and rebuild the temple, is because the rest of the Old Testament story makes it clear that, in fact, uh, God is no longer there. Though He was for a time, that was the place where He said He dwelt amongst His people, by the end of Ezekiel, we discover that the glory has departed, and it doesn't return. So, for us who are Christian, as we read the Psalms, what we're trying to do is see how it points us towards Jesus, the one in whom God comes to us. And there's two simple ways, I think, amongst many, in which we see Psalm 84 pointing us towards Jesus. Uh, There's a couple of Bible references there which um, haven't been printed, so I'll get you to look them up with me. Uh, John 1, verse 14. This is on page 1062. 1062, John 1, verse 14. Firstly one of the ways in which we see Psalm 84 pointing us towards God is that Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is God amongst us. And so John 1, verse 14, page 1062, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling amongst us. We don't go looking for a temple anymore. The way in which we see God amongst us is that we come to the Lord Jesus. Jesus. I think more directly uh, to Psalm 84, we see that Jesus is the one who opens the way for us to come to God. He opens a new and living way for us to be with God, and the way in which He does so is by His own blood. This is the second passage there, Hebrews 10. I'll get you to flip forward to page 1,211. 1,211. This is in Hebrews chapter 10. washed with pure water. the writer of the Hebrews reminds us that Jesus is the one who opens the way for us to come to God. And the way in which he does so is by his own blood. This is critical. It's critical because this is how God solves the problem of blamelessness. See, do you remember when I talked about blamelessness back in Psalm 84? I said that it doesn't mean sinless because if it did, no one could enter. The thing is that uh, God knows that even if we can't be sinless ourselves, something has to be done about our sin before we can come into His presence. The reference, in fact, I think, to the altar in Psalm 84 is a reminder that before you and I can come before God, blood must be shed, either ours or someone else's. The system that was set up in the Old Testament, of course, was that an animal's blood might be sacrificed, but clearly an animal cannot stand in place of a human. Hebrews 10, thanks be to God, it's Jesus' blood that is shed. And so you and I can come now confidently into the presence of our God, You might be wondering why there's a picture at the top of your handout. Uh, There's a picture at the top of your handout. Now, what it's meant to be is, you know, one of those old-fashioned cinema tickets, which normally say Admit 1, but this one says Admit 2. Because I think the image that Hebrews 10 has, and this is one that I want to have ringing in your mind as you go from here today. The image that Hebrews 10 describes is of Jesus... Who's gotten to the front of the queue and he stood at the door saying, Let me in, he is our king. And when he's admitted by his own blood, it's as if he says to the doorkeeper, to the bouncer, to security guys, "Uh, Here's Jeff, he's with me, he can come in as well. Here's Joe she's with me. I've paid the price for her. She comes in as well. Here's Chris. He's with me. This is one of the ways, I think, in which Psalm 84 points us towards the Lord Jesus, he who brings us into God's presence. And so finally then, what does Psalm 84 say to us today? What does Psalm 84 say to us today? Let me finish then with uh, one last passage. This is back in Matthew 28. So I'll ask you to turn back to, this is easy, page 1000. Page 1000 and Matthew 28. Let me finish with a final reflection. Uh, Jesus, of course, is very much in God's presence He sits with the Father in heaven. And yet His promise is that He will be with us as we make disciples in His name. So Matthew 28 verse 16, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. So Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Uh, Christians know this passage well, we love it dearly. It's a favourite of missionary sending organisations, of course. It talks about making disciples, and that's a good thing for us to be reminded of. But often, I think we finish before the very last verse. Surely I am with you always, to the very ends of the age. Jesus' promise is that He is still with us now, as we make disciples in His name. He is with us, not in person, but by His Spirit. And the great encouragement and hope of Matthew 28 is that if Jesus is with us by His Spirit, then He is with us wherever we go, even here, even now. Jesus is not just with a handful of first-century Palestinian Jews. Which is what is described in the New Testament for 30 odd years. That's only a handful of people got to see him, to be with him. Most didn't even understand what he was about. But now, Jesus is with Christians everywhere, across time and space. And he is with them as they make disciples which of course means that Jesus is with us not just when we gather together on a Sunday for a worship service. He is, in a particular kind of way, I take it. But Jesus being with us here today, that's so inadequate, that's so incomplete. He is with us always. And I think that reminds us of how much better off you and I are than the sons of Korah, who could only dream even of being in his presence for a day. Uh, That's the reason, of course, why one of Jesus' most well-known names is Emmanuel, which means God with us. He is with us wherever we go. Uh, Which, when you think about what's happened for Jesus, he's just, he's, he's about to ascend to heaven and he's leaving behind the disciples to carry on his mission of making more disciples. So what greater encouragement do they need than to be reminded that even though Jesus is in heaven, by his spirit, he is still with them as they go out to make disciples in his name, on his behalf, for his glory. Uh, So here's the so what for us, uh, for the members here of Trinity Inner South. I understand that uh, in the next few months, uh, you're going to send out somewhere between 80 and 100 people from this church to start a new church. And for those who are going, my guess is that there's a mixture of both excitement and abject fear and terror about what might happen. For those who are sending... I suspect there are exactly the same questions. What will happen when those who I've grown to, to know and love, who I've shared life with, broken bread with, they're not here, gathered with us each Sunday? What will happen to us? Jesus is with us always, as we make disciples in his name, and so whether you're excited Or terrified, the encouragement from Psalm 84, sung today in Jesus' voice, is that as we make disciples in His name, surely He is with us to the very end of the age. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your kindness and mercy, you have sent your Son to atone for our sins and to be with us each day. Uh, We pray that, strengthened with that confidence, uh, we might be equipped to do the good works that you prepared for us in advance to do. Amen.